Are you listening to this ad right now? Do you see how effective podcast advertising is? Do you want your product to have weekly exposure to the most connected accountants and bookkeepers on the planet? Stay tuned to hear more about sponsoring the Cloud Accounting Podcast later in the episode. You don't see the Facebook stuff coming over into LinkedIn too often, but it's really gotten out of control. KPMG US Chair and CEO Paul Knopp said, Earlier this week, I was proud to sign a letter with other business leaders to support an orderly transfer of power. The chaos at the Capitol today has no place in our democracy, and we call on officials to restore peace so we can move forward together as a nation. Today is January 10th, 2021. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Well, David... We thought that 2021 couldn't get any more interesting, and yet here we are. I, I think I saw a meme uh, that somebody posted that they want a uh, refund for 2021 because <laughs> they've done their seven-day trial and they weren't happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> the free trial, yeah. Um, um, wait, so, so wait, so let's just back up. So, since we recorded, yes, the House flipped because of the Georgia thing. The Senate there flipped. Was an ins- the Senate flipped. Yes. There was an insurrection. Trump's kicked off of Twitter. The next day, a new social media launch is kicked off of all the platforms. E- even the shopping cart companies like uh, Shopify is banning Trump stores. Like the whole, like, what a week. I, I don't even know where to start. I guess I do want to talk about the storming of the Capitol, the insurrection, the riot, whatever you want to call it. Not necessarily in a political sense. I understand it's a hot button issue. Personally, I think there is no room for violence, period. I felt that way about the protests over the summer. I feel that way right now. The number one rule in my house when I was growing up that my parents had when my brother and I were fighting was no hitting. Regardless of what the argument was about, if anyone perpetrated any violence, you immediately lost the argument. And I feel like that's a good rule in life. Like You can talk, you can argue, but no violence. And it's like, I think that the the tone has changed, um, especially in our world, in the world of accounting and business where we try to stay uh, apart from the political discussions, right? We have- There's that whole, like, and you talk to accounts and bookkeepers, it's like, oh, never talk about politics or religion with your clients. But yeah. I think because of social media, now you know your clients' political views, or I know the political views of many accounts and bookkeepers because of Facebook connections mm-hmm. and Twitter connections. And you're right, what, what people used to not put out there is like in your face now. Yeah, all the time. It's it's very challenging, uh, and and so again, I don't want to make a political statement, but I think it is not political to say that violence should not be an option, or if that is political, I'm happy to make that statement. And the business interests that have allied themselves with Donald Trump seem to have also made this decision. This is a straw that broke the camel's back, I suppose. It's it's really turned. The accounting community, at least the big four, uh, against Donald Trump for the moment, anyway, and we can see this in the LinkedIn posts of the leaders of the big four accounting firms. Not only did these leaders write a letter before the riots happened, saying that Congress should accept the electoral results, they all signed on to this. There have now been multiple LinkedIn posts from each of the big four heads. And I'll read some of them for you. Here. So, so before you jump into that, when, when they've written these letters in the past, are they re- uh, writing these letters on their behalf? Like, oh, we are the big four, blah, blah, blah. Or are they writing this on, hey, on behalf of millions of small businesses or businesses that we represent, we're writing you this letter? So, the letter that happened this past week was a business group. It was a group of business leaders in New York. And the big four leaders signed on to this letter. And that's generally how they'll do it, right? They'll get together okay. with a bunch of businesses, some association, and sign on together. Uh, and and so that was uh, a letter from a group called the Partnership for New York City saying, quote, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris have won the Electoral College and the courts have rejected challenges to the electoral process. Congress should certify the electoral vote on Wednesday, January 6th. Attempts to thwart or delay this process run counter to the essential tenets of our democracy. And signers of the letter included several leaders of accounting firms, such as PwC US Chair and Senior Partner Timothy Ryan, Deloitte CEO Joseph, I cannot say his last name, Ernst & Young US Chair and Managing Partner Kelly Greer, KPMG US Chair and CEO Paul Knopp, and former CEO of Deloitte Kathy Engelbert, who is now Commissioner of the WNBA. So they, they wrote this letter, and then... The riot happened, and each of the 
signers also wrote LinkedIn posts that got thousands of likes and go read the comments there. There's a whole political debate happening in the comments too, which you don't often see in LinkedIn. At least I don't. You don't see the Facebook stuff coming over into LinkedIn too often, but it's really gotten out of control. KPMG US Chair and CEO Paul Knopp said, earlier this week, I was proud to sign a letter with other business leaders to support an orderly transfer of power. The chaos at the Capitol today has no place in our democracy, and we call on officials to restore peace so we can move forward together as a nation. Uh, The CEO of Deloitte US said in a LinkedIn post, one of the most sacred tenets of our democracy is that we respect the results of free and fair elections and consistently execute the transfer of power peacefully. The events we all witnessed this afternoon with the storming of the U.S. Capitol represent a sad and embarrassing moment, but our great country is far stronger than the abhorrent actions of those who engaged in this conduct. So on and so on on with the other posts. That's the the general gist. So a real change in um, tone in, 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 in how big business and the big four are relating to what is going on in politics. They're really making a statement here. Like this is very clear where they stand. And and you just haven't seen that before. So th- this is like a turning point to me uh, in terms of the Trump administration and big business. Well, it's so, much, it's so public now, right? And this goes back to just like you see the politics of individuals online now and out there. I think a lot of influence that may be happening from the big four in the past was probably backroom deals with Congress people and politicians and back scratching type stuff. And now social media, it crossed that new line where if if the presidents can use social media, they're going to have to communicate in that same way yeah, and make their opinions very public in a way that maybe that was their opinion the whole time, but they would never put it out there like that. Well, what's been interesting in the LinkedIn comments is seeing people working at those firms uh, criticizing the leaders for their statement saying, you know, who are clearly supporting the protests, you know, they wouldn't probably refer to them as riots. I mean, there's a whole, uh, well, these companies have hundreds of thousands of employees. You're going to have, yeah, yeah you're, you're not going to have a hundred thousand employees all thinking one political slant or another, especially if they're in the U S and, right? and there's other people calling on those people to be fired for, for their political views. Jeez. Yeah. It's nuts. And this is all happening on LinkedIn threads. Uh, but, you know, like it's it's going beyond this, right? It's not just the big four making statements. Big tech has made more than a statement. They've they've deplatformed the president. Well, it's not – it doesn't even stop there. So, first, I think Twitter pulled down Trump. Or turn, first, they suspended him for like 12 hours and they just turned the whole thing off, I think. Yeah, they shut down and his account they, completely they, now. They shut forever. down. Then they shut down Facebook. Uh, it did something. Then they started shutting down some YouTube channels. And then now it's dominoed into like Shopify shutting down like Trump stores if you want to buy like a trump flag that got shut down and then you know remember everybody right after the election was like i'm moving to parlor so apparently parlor started getting pulled down from the apple store the google store huh. now amazon deplatformed uh, parlor uh last night um so it's just this domino effect of these these companies just pulling it off and so this is something i like before this i've always kind of thought about and the reason i one of the reasons i'm really like a huge fan of podcasting. And if you guys want to know more about this, you can go to like podcastindex.org and really start understanding like the openness of the podcast as a platform. You can never be deplatformed. Right. Because we don't really live anywhere. Well, we live, we have a podcast host, which is like a web host. It's a, but we could put that anywhere. Yeah. On my, I can run that in my bedroom tomorrow. Right. Yeah. We could, we could host our podcast on a server in our room, you know, somewhere. Uh, if we had to, we could, we could take it out of the cloud and host it ourselves. And we own the domain cloudaccountingpodcast.com. Nobody else owns that. And the podcast is distributed via an RSS feed, which is basically just a web link. So if you have the web link, if you have the link, the RSS feed link to our show, you can listen to it in whatever podcast app you want. Now, I, I guess, you know, Apple, for instance, Apple Podcasts could hide our podcast. But you could always download another app and listen. That's to it. fine, but there's it's it's still available out there. They 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 could filter us out of their view in their podcast player, and they have the right to do that. But but we we aren't pulled off. Right. And I think it's it's almost where are we going to see a, a swing of the pendulum back to the way the orig- internet originally was, which was very decentralized. I mean, the last decade of the internet has been you live on platforms, right? You, you are a YouTube person, even though you could put your own videos on your own website, on your own server, in your own garage, but everything is shifted to these massive platforms. And this is why tech, these big tech companies have so much power and influence. And so, are we going to see the internet swing back to where, hey, 
It's it's RSS based feeds. You're hosting your own blog, email. Are we going to see a swing back to that? Maybe. I remember when Hector Garcia, who's like the number one CPA on YouTube, I think, his channel was taken down for some inexplicable reason. And it's like, I think it's happened two or three times now. Yeah. Just pulled it off. Somebody makes a copyright complaint or maybe he gets caught up in some sort of like automatic filter because he's talking about uh, trademark terms like QuickBooks or he's using a logo or something and then they, they it gets shut down and then he has to petition to get it back. But like if it went down forever, that's his livelihood. That's how he gets clients. That's his number one source of, of leads, right? That's a valuable asset. So this is why... I have always told every firm leader that talks to me about marketing, the key thing to ensure is that even if you are using all these other platforms like YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn to get customers and to be out there on the web, you want to own your own channels as much as possible. So what can you own? You can own your domain. So your website, right? host your own website and make sure that all your content is on that because it's very difficult for somebody to take away your website. You can always find a new host. It's it's not going to happen, right? Facebook could shut down your page or they could do things like make you pay to get people to see it, which they did a few years ago, right? And screwed up a lot of people's business models. But you can't they're not going to take away your website. And then this is why email marketing is also still the number one thing you should be doing as a firm if you're not doing anything, you should be doing email marketing because email's an open platform. Nobody can block you from reaching your email recipients on your list. So building your email list, super, super. Except critical. for Google, that would just <laughs> they put you in this Google spam folder. So yeah. they kind of can. Well, no, but they're not going to do it like. But they can't stop you from sending those emails ultimately. Yeah. Actually, that would be really interesting if like Google started blocking, you know, Trump emails to his supporters. That would be crazy if that happened. I don't think that will ever happen because email is an open platform. But yeah. So, so that you want to own your channels so that you can't just get shut down and that's the lesson to learn from this. I wonder if the Trump campaign or administration has any channels that they can still access their followers through. I mean, I guess it's their email list is basically what they're going to have to use now because they don't have like their own social platform. And that's what people are talking about. They might build their own now to get around this. But I think that's enough politics for now, don't you? I mean, I've, I've had enough of this. Maybe we should shift to, well, I can't say it's a, a happier topic, but we could talk about the economy. At least it's not you know, politics, right? This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Bookstime. Save time by outsourcing your clients' bookkeeping work to Bookstime. With Bookstime, you get your own dedicated team of experienced and responsive bookkeepers that have deep expertise in cloud apps like QuickBooks, Xero, Bill.com, and many more. They follow your processes and use your systems so you don't have to change a thing. And with CPA supervision, you won't need to review their work. You'll never have to recruit, train, or manage bookkeepers again, allowing you to focus on high-margin services, client relationships, and growth. Bookstime has a special offer only to listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Sign up before the end of the tax season 2021, and you'll get $500 off your first invoice. To get started with a risk-free trial and see why leading modern accounting firms around the country rely on and love Bookstime, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash bookstime. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-O-O-K-S-T-I-M-E. So we had that disappointing jobs report. I don't know if you saw this, David, but it looks like we're backsliding a bit. We're not getting the jobs back anymore. We're starting to lose more. Right? I think I've heard a little bit. It was not a good. It's basically where it was in March. We had like the same amount of job losses again. It's like a a restart of the lockdown all over again. Yeah, because the surge has depressed retail surge, and surge. Um, employers, according to the US Bureau of Labor Statistics, in December, cut 140,000 jobs. Now, here's the good news in the accounting and bookkeeping world. Accounting and bookkeeping sector added 2,300 jobs last month. And professional services overall actually did better. The unemployment rate itself did not change. It's still at 6.7%. So, this just shows you the two economies that we're in right now where you can work from home, you're okay. It may not be great, but we're not losing those jobs or even gaining them. Whereas if you work in retail, if you work where in a, in a job where you have to see people, it's not, not looking great. I mean, I think the unemployment rate for people who like don't have a college degree is like 10% or more. That's, that's the situation there. Uh, if you want to feel better though about being an American right now, given everything that's going on, our US listeners can 
at least take comfort that they're not dealing with Brexit. I spotted this article, thanks to Brian Strieg, on Twitter. He shared a story from the New York Times called, A Week into Full Brexit, The Pain for UK Businesses Has Arrived. And oh man, I would not want to be an accountant supporting a small business in the UK right now that ships into the European Union or has customers in the European Union, because apparently it's just a a disaster. The British economy, according to the Bank of England, is going to shrink 2% over the next few years because of all the friction of not having an open border when it comes to goods and services. Because Brexit happened, at the last moment, the deal was signed. They did sign a deal for products, but not for services. And so there is a way for these British businesses to export and import from the EU, but all this happened at the very end of the year. The deal wasn't reached until December 24th. The The text wasn't circulated until December 26th, and all of the like rules and regulations weren't finalized until December 31st, and the new law took effect <laughs> January 1st. So like at the borders right now, there's a, just a huge mess. There's a, a, a parcel delivery company called DPD that has had to pause service to the European Union after 20% of parcels it handled had incorrect or incomplete data and will have to be returned to the center. Can you imagine if 20% of the parcels going from like the United States elsewhere in the world had to be returned to the sender because of paperwork issues? And apparently there's shortages on shelves in France because a bunch of stuff that was being shipped from Britain to France didn't have the right paperwork. I mean, it's 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 expensive, right? When you don't have open trading situation. Yeah. Just be happy that you know we're not dealing with that right now. And for our UK listeners, uh, you know, we we sympathize with you. Well, there's something else to be happy about. PPP approval loans are are getting approved. Yes, right. They're it's starting reopened. up again. Yeah. Uh, looks like it's going to be January 11th. But did you know that they're 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 opening this up in a staggered way this time? I saw that. What minority women-owned businesses get first yeah, like, stab? Yeah, like first only community financial institutions. So this would be banks and credit unions that tend to low uh, low income communities. That's happening, which is good. And then people are getting some people are getting their uh, stimulus payments, but others aren't. I don't know if you saw there were some problems again with TurboTax and HR Block. Yeah, this is so weird because I feel like this happened the first time where if you filed with TurboTax or HR Block and you got your refund through them, they set up a temporary bank account into which the refund is deposited. They take their fee for the software and then give you the rest. Like that's you pay for the the software right out of your your refund. Your refund. Yep. So if you did that, the first time there was a problem where you didn't get the money in your bank account because Intuit got it temporarily and then they had to fix it all, right? And yep. so this happened again. Millions of customers didn't get their money because of this. And some of them were even sent to the wrong accounts. This was a uh, HR Block tweeted about that. Oh boy. Um, and so they're getting so apparently now they've officially said that it's been fixed. Things are back on track. They've been working with the Treasury and IRS to get these things back on track. And so that's going on with the, the, the distribution. And then another related story. I don't know if you saw this. The Treasury is actually sending this out as debit cards, prepaid cards. They didn't do this the first time. They did not do this uh, the first time. So, huh. so you may want to make sure your clients, if they're asking, hey, I didn't get my um, stimulus. stimulus payment, check your mail. You might have a debit card. So there's a lot of branding going on here. So IRS and Treasury urged eligible people who don't receive a direct deposit to watch their mail carefully during this period. The prepaid debit card called Economic Impact Payment Card is sponsored by the Bureau of Fiscal Service and is issued by the Treasury's financial agent, Metabank, comma, N-A. The IRS does not determine who receives the prepaid debit card. So the IRS doesn't determine who gets it, but they are obviously just sending them out. And this is that, I think, that experiment of like a federal digital dollar here, right? Because now whoever got these debit cards, let's say this gets juiced and there was a $2,000 payment that goes out. They're just going to up that card. Right. Right. Every, Every American, every taxpayer should have like a debit card number or a bank account automatically assigned to them by the IRS so that we can do this sort of thing in the future. It just makes so much more sense than mailing people checks. I I can't even imagine what our international listeners are thinking about this whole thing. In order to send out these $600 stimulus checks, the IRS has to literally cut 
millions and millions of pieces of paper and put them into envelopes. And I, don't, I guess they don't put stamps on them because they're the IRS, right? But then they have to give them. Yeah, the, so it's pre, yeah. pre-story, uh, pre-sorted first. Because they have a picture of the envelope. Pre-sorted <sighs> first class mail, US paid postage. Yeah. Mail services. Inc. It's crazy. Um, so to tying this back, right? So not only do you get the debit card, right? Yeah. And we talked about how before, you know, this is, this is a boom for uh, Square with their cash app. And PayPal recently announced, hey, they're going to let people cash their uh, their stimulus paper check mm-hmm. through their app, mm-hmm. right? And they'll be able to take a picture of it. And within uh, minutes, they'll be able to get the the balance deposited into their PayPal or their Venmo account within a few seconds. And then it eliminates all the check cashing fees, et cetera. So it's really going to help. If you're unbanked, you just get one of these apps to cash your yeah. check, right? You either get Venmo or PayPal or you get the Square Cash app. But here's the real reason people are going to do it. I found another article that was on payments.com. Uh, there was a report from the New York Times. Traditional banks, because a lot of people have overdrawn accounts now. Right. Well, and- Or you have overdraft fees. So basically, as soon as your stimulus goes in, they're just going to take the deposit fees that you owe the bank (laughs) out of it. Right. This was part of the issue the first time. So then people just will not deposit their checks at a traditional bank and they're going to use one of these apps like Uh, Venmo, Chime, all these neobanks. They're going to jump into that. So, which which I don't blame them. So, it's just juicing up the balance sheets of uh, fintech. Before we go on to more apps news, because I think this is a good transition point, I want to keep talking about stimulus. Yeah. And there's one thing about the PPP that I saw this week that I missed the first time. So, the new legislation has text in there that addresses those agent fees. Remember the agent fees, David? Yes. That that CPAs and- The banks got, but not yeah. the accounts bookkeepers. Yeah, so the banks got, well, they got their bank fee or their yes. lender fee. And then there was that whole agent fee thing that theoretically, if you were a CPA or a bookkeeper, an accountant preparing a loan application on your client's behalf and you signed it, you could get, as the preparer, you could get a up to 1% share of that loan, which, hey, that could be a lot of money, right? There was a accounting firm here in Scottsdale that was suing a bank because they did a 200 and something thousand dollar loan. They wanted 1% of it, right? Hey, you know, $2,000, right? Not not a bad fee, uh, especially if I'm not charging my client for my time. And the banks said, uh, some of them paid the fee, by the way, but most of them said, no, 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 no. The legislation actually says you have to have a pre-written agreement with us we basically have to agree to pay you this in advance and you can't just get it because you've sent in the paperwork. And it looks like Congress has done their buddies in the banking industry a solid and put into the legislation uh, some clarifying text that basically says retroactively, if you didn't have an agreement with that bank in advance, the bank does not have to pay the agent fee. So that's the nail in the coffin for all of these dozens of lawsuits that borrower agents have filed seeking a cut of the bank PPP fees. And there have been a lot of them. Many small accounting firms have filed more than 60 suits involving more than 100 banks to try and get those agent fees. And nope, banking industry won that one. Interestingly here, this was an article in American Banker. It says, quote, a spokesman for the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants declined to comment, unquote. Hey, I'm hoping that you're enjoying this episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Normally, this is part of the podcast, there'd be an ad for a great product or app. But as you've probably noticed, this episode is missing a sponsor. So Blake and I could really use your help. If you know an amazing product or service that is looking to get in front of forward-thinking accountants and bookkeepers like yourself, please send them our way by emailing david at cloudaccountingpodcast.com. Make sure they tell us that you referred them, and I'll be sure to send out a nice Cloud Accounting Podcast fan package to you and your firm. Now back to the show. So that's, uh, I think, all the stimulus news, all the economic news. Maybe we should dig in further to app news. All right, let's jump into app news. So the kind of a big story here, Ted Callahan. So if you go back to October of 2019 at QuickBooks Connect, remember when we used to do conferences in person? What? We actually we actually had <laughs> Ted, Callahan, Ted Callahan on the podcast before. He, is the, he was the leader of the QuickBooks Live group at Intuit. Yes, that was my favorite interview because we actually got the details on QuickBooks Live from the guy running it. Yes. Yeah. And so now he is now uh, has been announced as the new leader of the accountant's business leader. So does this mean he's in charge of QuickBooks? 
overall? This would be really more of the pro advisors and accountants. Okay. So, he, so he's in charge of, uh, so instead of just being QuickBooks Live, he's in charge of the pro advisors. And remember, we had uh, Rish Mishrugi on the podcast, mm-hmm. right? She at the time, she was the accountant leader um, for the last, I want to say like two and a half years of the pro advisor accountants, a product and team at Intuit. So did she get promoted? She, so it feels like this is some sort of promotion to where there's a new layer or a business unit possibly added to it called QuickBooks Experts Team. Mm. So she's going to be the uh, accountant leader on that team. So it feels like there's a a bigger umbrella that accountants are now rolling into. Got it. Uh, experts, experts in general, not just pro advisors. Cool. That's what it feels like. Oh. So I don't know um, with the what, what I don't really don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Ted Callahan, it's going to be his, he's going to develop, continue to develop new innovations for the QuickBooks platform, you know, all the accountant offerings in QuickBooks Online and Accountant, and then involving the ProAdvisor program. So he's going to be heading up all those functions. Well, I have exciting news, David. There's another tech startup that wants to be an accounting firm that just raised a bunch of money. This one is called Penny Lane, and they're French. Ooh la la. They raised $18.4 million for an accounting service that combines automated processes with human accountants. And that's according to TechCrunch. Same old story, David. It's a software as a service company that makes accounting software, software to manage your financial data, but also includes accountants on the team that will help you do your accounting and your bookkeeping. You can talk with your accountant through the company's platform and it becomes, quote, a single source of information for financial data. And it looks like Penny Lane, um, so they already have 550 customers and they have about 30 accountants working for the company in-house already. And so from a, if you think back to ScaleFact, who raised $100 million and we're not sure ever broke 500 customers, or at the one time they were claiming they had 750 or they were on track for 750, that's, they seem to be doing something okay here. Yeah. So this is interesting because they actually reveal some revenue numbers as well. Uh, they have 2 million euros in revenue. So that's about 2.5 million US and you said 550 customers, right? So let's yeah. do 2.5 million divided by 550. So their average revenue per customer is $4,545. I think I did that right. Because if I multiply back by 550, yep. So $4,500 per customer. Uh, seems like they're pretty up market from what most accountants and bookkeepers would be charging on a monthly. Yeah, or no, wait, that's per year. Slide. That's per year. Hold on. So, so divided by 12. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whenever we're doing math live on the show, I got to remind people that I'm an accountant, not a mathematician. And I really should have an Excel spreadsheet open right now because I don't, and I make mistakes if I don't. But it's fun doing the math real time though. <laughs> okay. So $379 per month. So that's, that's a QuickBooks Live competitor. Yep. QuickBooks Live competitor and a competitor to many, many of our listeners, I'm sure. It wasn't clear. Um, obviously, they're u- if they're using um, what tech stack they're using. They do say that they're going to you know, pull information from Stripe, Zoho, right. and other places. But it, it's not really clear if they're building their own tech stack or using existing. I think it's pretty clear that they're building their own accounting software. But I could – well, is it clear? They have a lot of customers after launch. That, that's fast. Let's like, I think you could build I think you could take off the shelf tool. You could take zero or QuickBooks and build a service like this and possibly get five hundred customers in a year. I think if you're building your own software, that's super impressive. So I'm looking at their website right now, which I just went to it and it was in French, and then Google said, Hey, would you like to translate this into English? And it magically translated it. Uh so I'm trying to find if they have like screenshots on their website that show a platform, or if this is really just stitching together a bunch of services. So they have a list of logos of solutions they connect to on their solutions page. It doesn't look like they connect to any accounting software. So that makes me think that they've got their own software here. Yeah, they say reliable and real-time data for your startup thanks to many APIs of our accounting software. So this is software plus a service, really, not just stitching together a QuickBooks to something or a zero to something. Yeah, I see how they have a Google card list and their 
They're integrating other people in. Interesting. So, yeah, it, uh, I know some, well, some of these places, though, too, they do still have QuickBooks or Zero under the covers, but they just build like uh, their own dashboard. That's true. They could be doing you know, that. In between. They, they could just be playing in between. And, and, and then on top of that, it's, you know, how much is just humans doing this? Or it could be like an Indonero, right? Where they have their own accounting solution under their own GL. Which, which very well, but it probably took Indonero half a decade to get 500. It's it's a lot like the, the building it yourself, building your own accounting software GL yeah. is is a long process, and so yeah. that's just they, they've grown a lot for one year. So it tells me maybe that's mm. or or they already had kind of a firm going, and they're just clowning those clients, right? <laughs> they might even be on the platform. or just bought a firm they customers. <laughs> yeah, they, they just already have those people as clients. So no, that makes sense. Another one. What did I have? A uh, Avalara unveiled a uh, a cloud sales tax account return solution for accounting firms. It's called Avalara Managed Returns for Accountants, MRA. And it sounds like if I had to like put this into a different uh, terms, how you can use outsourced payroll. So Intuit Payroll or ADP or any of these, you can be kind of the middleman. Yeah. And so yes. really ADP is doing all the payroll for you and it's filing all the reports and you're just kind of offering that as a service on the front end. It feels like Avalara's built something like that for sales tax. So you can offer the sales tax uh, preparation services to your clients. But on the back end, it's Avalara is doing everything. It's a full service. This sounds great because I always love being the main point of contact. Right, That's the value I create as an advisor is my client just wants one person to reach out to. They send me all their stuff. I put it into this platform. Avalara's experts take care of the sales tech stuff. Like, this is cool. I would look into this. So it's- and and it, it was a press release, so it doesn't say too much, but it looks like they're having a webinar on January 21st. So we'll have that. You hit the show notes and the link will be in there to to learn more about this. But I think it's a, you know, it's interesting they're taking that that model yeah. of the payroll industry and moving it into sales tax, salt compliance. Avalara managed returns for accountants. Now, speaking of more resources for accountants, Deloitte has struck a deal with tax analysts to make their law library public. I was trying to figure out what's the angle on this. Like, why would Deloitte buy tax analysts? solution. It's called Tax Notes. It's uh, They bought the whole, or they didn't buy it. They entered a deal with tax analysts to make their Tax Notes product portfolio available to the public. This is a, a federal tax law library. Uh, and Tax Analysts is a non- nonprofit. So I guess Deloitte's going to pay to make this stuff public. And now anyone who wants to can go to taxnotes.com and do research on federal tax issues. So that's pretty neat, right? Is it's- it just an SEO play? To get the eyeballs and the traffic and potential customers. Yeah, maybe maybe that is what's going on here is that you know Deloitte will be able to now access or get information about people using taxnotes.com. Like I'm imagining if I'm, let's say, an in-house finance person and I want to do some tax research, I go to taxnotes.com and then maybe there's a way for me to like consult with a Deloitte expert, something like that. Could be that. Or sign in, or right? it'll be gatekeeper by an email address, and you have to sign in. And now Deloitte has all those. Or it's just Deloitte being a good corporate citizen. Yeah, I'm always. I always want to know what, what is their what's their reason for doing this. Yeah, there's got to be uh, an agenda here. So I have some neobank news, um, and somebody tagged me in a Facebook thread. There's a, a bank called Aslo, A Z L O. I'd never heard of them before. They're owned by BBVA US, who. Last month that's or about bank, a month right? and a half ago, that's the bets I have for my small business. I use BBVA US. They got a they BBVA is a global company, but they sold their US branch now to KeyBank. So BBVA US is now going to be owned by KeyBank, which I think is out of uh, Pennsylvania. So BBVA owns two banks, two neo banks. They have Aslo, which is really the small business bank, and they really have been working at this for like four years. Right. And it was all about, you know, for founders, freelancers, and small business owners, right? They really yep. tried to build a small business focused bank, Neil Bank. And then um, the other bank they purchased or, uh, was a company called Simple. And Simple Bank, I heard of them. I met, I met those founders almost a decade ago. So they 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 were like the first neo bank. Yep. Where you you did everything online. You had the debit card and you got your account online and you had the little graph and the financial. It was a bit personal finance gear. Yeah, so and that's the, the interesting thing is banks. so there's a lot of these fintechs now or neo banks that are targeting startups and small businesses. Simple started out targeting consumers. They were a consumer bank product, like and you could budget with them. That was a big thing. The budgeting was integrated. 
right? You know, and now a decade later, every week on the podcast, we talk about three new banks that have launched. And even this week, now I see, you know, there's a, a bank called Oxygen and Oxygen, they just closed $17 million round. So on one hand, it's confusing. So you have over here on this hand, you have a bigger bank shutting down the neo, their neo banks. In the meantime, neo banks everywhere growing like crazy and taking as much funding as possible. So it makes me kind of wonder, like, what is, what, what is, BBVA possibly know or see it could just be part of the deal when they got bought by KeyBank, but are they is the thought process like okay we learn what we need to learn we'll just put that in our regular business checking account whatever this great this extra functionality is yeah. that these neo banks were offering and just move forward with that going forward but people are pretty upset because I think some people that use Aslo really liked it so here's my theory about all this it's that the VCs have caught on that fintech neo banks app-based banks are going to be huge and somebody is going to win and it's going to be the the Facebook of banking. And they're going to probably end up taking on Chase and, and Bank of America. They could disrupt this gigantic industry. And so the VCs are pouring all this money into this realm and startups are taking the money. And so we're seeing uh, uh, all these apps sprout up and a lot of them are going to fail. And they're not going to get traction in those ones. Or if it's the Facebook model, whoever's winning, let's let's just say for it's Square. Yeah. Square's just going to start buying all these guys up exactly. in the same way Facebook bought up all their competitors. Exactly. So you either want to, ideally, you end up being the app that dominates or you just get bought by a bigger one. And the investors still make a ton of money, right? So, so, so do you think this is just timing? Like BBVA's senior leaders, they understood this was coming and they tried to buy these companies five, six, seven years ago. And this... It was just too early. The timing was off and it just never happened. It's, you know, it's hard, hard to know, especially with a bank that big, like changing priorities, you know, like, like to them, these little apps are like nothing. It's like a drop in the bucket. Right. So for them to like shut down something they've invested, you know, I don't know how much they spent, like $20 million. It's like, whatever. (laughs) Rounding error. I I remember, uh, it's funny to to think about that. So Rubbermaid was just a gigantic conglomerate, right? They own like a little like scanner division. That like does like scanning of bills and invoices or something, and I remember uh, meeting Wait, with somebody on that rubber, team. Rubbermaid, the, the yeah, rubber Rubbermaid, yeah, owns a scanning company. Okay, and then I remember um, you know working with uh, a developer or whoever ran that division, and about integrating with QuickBooks. And the reality was, he's like, in the grand scheme of things, like the revenue this little app's going to make from integrating from QuickBooks, like he's never going to be able to get anybody on board because Rubbermaid's selling billions of rubber containers, right? <laughs> like, so it's, you're right. Like in the grand scheme of BBVA, these newer neobanks just were so teeny, like nobody cared. Yeah. And it's like, it's just a distraction. So let's just kill it and move on. We'll see what happens. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by bookkeep.com. Do you have clients tracking sales and payments in Shopify, Square, Shopkeep, Grubhub, or Upserve? If you do, you know it's a monthly struggle to import the sales into QuickBooks or Xero using CSV import files. Maybe you've even tried one of those apps that syncs every transaction to the accounting system, only later to discover that you can't reconcile the thousands of transactions it imported against the deposit that was made to the bank account. Seriously, do you need these thousands of burgers and fries orders entered in the accounting system? And don't forget about tracking all those fees correctly. Bookkeep will summarize all these transactions, including the fees, into one nice daily journal entry, posting it to QuickBooks or Xero so it will perfectly match the deposited amount, making all your reconciliations a breeze, your reporting accurate, and best of all, it will help keep your client's accounting system clean and efficient. Jason Richardson created the widely used Shopkeep point of sale from the back of his retail wine shops. Years later, after witnessing the explosion of apps with poor accounting integrations, the entrepreneur turned developer teamed up with his former CFO and CPA, Ruth Koo, to create bookkeep.com. Listeners can get one free month of bookkeep.com by using promo code C-L-O-U-D, cloud. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash bookkeep. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-O-O-K-E-E-P. So where do we want to go from here? I've got some tax news. The IRS has not been in such good shape recently. I think we talk about it on like every episode. There's a report from the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration, the auditor of the IRS and the Treasury, like pointing out some 
huge inefficiency or big gap at the IRS. And there's this debate constantly over, is it is it the IRS is just bad at doing its job or are they under-resourced? Maybe it's a little bit of both. Well, here's a an example of how perhaps funding the IRS would help us raise significantly more revenue as a country because this auditor found that for the IRS is overlooking billions in potential taxes from non-filers. So are you familiar with Form 1099-K, David? You must be very familiar with it. Um, not the K. So this is the form that merchant services process. Oh, yeah. That's the one that, yeah. So yeah, yeah. they send out. So if I, if I take money, if I PayPal's my way I get paid, PayPal will issue me one of those and I don't, yeah, it, paying it, me, just have to issue me a 1099 miss. If they send you NEC, they so the form 1099k, this is what the merchant processors have to send people who get us over an you know X dollars from PayPal or through their Visa Mastercard. All this like the the this is the form that you get instead of getting it from every single person who paid you through that service. You get this 1099k. They also send it to the IRS, and the IRS is supposed to be looking at these forms and figuring out, hey. Is everybody reporting this income or not? And basically due to- There should be a reconciliation somewhere. Yes. And essentially due to resource constraints, the IRS is not doing this. And so the the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration said that because the IRS is not creating and working on the non-filer and under-reporter cases for Form 1099-K, they aren't even trying to do it. And if all they did was focus on those of 1 million or more for businesses- and 100,000 or more for individuals, the IRS could potentially assess an extra $5.723 billion in taxes. So that would be just if they went after the big fish. The auditor is estimating that there, are, there might be as much as $335.5 billion in Form 1099-K income that has a filing obligation but was, was not you know, filed. So that's a lot of tax. So I, I think once Congress finds out or learns about this, you're going to see where these big companies, the merchant service companies, are going to have to withhold some sort of tax before they put the deposits in. That would be really um, interesting. That, that, oh just in God. the same way, in the same way, like Amazon with the Nexus, right? Oh, it, Amazon's it, having to collect that out and keep their piece of that. So with the, with their sellers, I, I could see the same type of thing happening. No, with Amazon isn't services. doing that. We actually had a listener contact us and. It's something I want to dig into more, but like if you're a third-party seller on Amazon, Amazon collects the sales tax for its own sales and remits it, but not necessarily for the third-party sellers. And so there's there's all this untaxed activity on Amazon right now that Amazon's basically said like, hey, not not our problem, it's the seller's problem. And it's it's creating huge issues for those sellers who don't know they have a, a income ta- or a sales tax filing requirement. Like it's it's a huge mess. So it's 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 across income tax and sales tax. Uh, what else in the world of tax? BKD has made one of those often cringy. You know, you, you know those often like cringy videos that a firm will make every now and then, where they're trying to make learning about tax or audit fun, and they'll so they'll make like a parody video, or you know, then they'll get all the staff involved, and and often it's just like terrible. Usually, it's the big four where it's like really bad. You know what I'm talking about? I've seen, I've seen this video. Yes, yes. yes. Well, BKD has made a film noir tax parody. And when I saw this on Accounting Today, I thought, oh my God, it's going to be another one of these just cringeworthy videos. It's a 30-minute parody in the film noir style. So black and white, you know, like 1940s detective or something like that. And it's called The Missing Deduction. And it's fantastic. It is really good. It's worth watching. Uh, you just got to see it. The dialogue is good. They they obviously hired like a cinematographer and a director and they they filmed this in Springfield, Missouri. Do you want to hear a little bit of it? Yeah, let's play some. Business income or QBI deduction have abounded since the provision was created under the legislation formerly known as the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. This newly created provision, effective in 2018, provides a 20% deduction of domestic qualified business income from partnerships, S corporations, and sole proprietorships to non corporate Mr. Simple? You can call me tax. What's your story? Oh, tax. Something terrible has happened. My Quincy's gone missing. Missing, you say? 
Tell me more about this Quincy character. Well, his name is Quincy Benjamin Ingrid Donaldson, but everyone calls him Cubit. He stole my heart. Where did you first meet Mr. Cubit? Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was January 1st, 2018. We were ringing in the new year. For the countdown, are you ready? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five. Anyway, four, that's just the three, beginning two, of this one, film noir mystery. And you can learn all about section 199A and Qubid by watching this video, which was written by Damian Martin of the Simply Tax podcast. So there's the. Wow. Yeah. All right. One more one more story about app news before we go, actually. I, I missed this one. EY and Microsoft are building, or expanding rather, an Xbox blockchain smart contract platform. So Ernst & Young has partnered with Microsoft to build a blockchain-based solution to collect gaming rights and royalties on the Xbox platform. This is a real-world example of how blockchain could actually help speed up the payment of royalties to game developers and designers and, and the publishers when you buy a game from, say, the, the Xbox app marketplace, whatever they call it. And maybe you pay $10 for some sort of indie game. There could be a smart contract in the platform that then sends out Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever cryptocurrency to you know the guy who wrote the game the the person who composed the music, the publisher, everyone gets their cut and it all happens instantaneously without having to reconcile a bunch of stuff down the road. Or if they, let's say Xbox becomes Xbox as a service and it's one like one flat fee per month and you get unlimited all you can eat games. Now like that can be distributed out on how many minutes you're playing a game. And exactly. Yeah, that would be crazy. Real time calculations. Yeah. So I have a story that's going to make you very, very, very excited. Ooh. So this is a story in the Wall Street Journal. So the U.S. Accounting Standards Center looks to tackle controversial topics in 2021. <laughs> what controversial so, topics are they going to tackle? So FASB expected, is expected to give certain priorities to certain issues this year. So yes, they are going to address all confusion related to pandemic accounting. Right, they have to address that because that's just not that's just going to hang around here in 2021. Yep. But they've prioritized the discussion and decision on recognizing goodwill. Oh, they're really, they're going to move forward on this. Interesting. They're going to attack goodwill. So they, it's a hotly debated topic in the accounting world. It, well, I, I think I, we could debate that whether or not it's hotly debated. I did see recently an article in accounting today called cost versus value is gap obsolete. But that's basically the only thing I've seen in the accounting press since the last time we talked about this. It's worth a read. Marvin Weiss, a retired professor at the New York Institute of Technology, wrote in Accounting Today that, quote, we are now in a new era in which knowledge and skills have become the key drivers with the shift of productive activity to low-cost producers outside the U.S., unquote. And in this article, he points out that Gap distorts the mass matching principle by forcing companies to immediately expense costs to acquire people and other internally generated intangibles, which as anyone who has studied this knows completely distorts the results of companies that, you know, deal primarily in intangibles, like a lot of software companies, like uh, biotech companies, you know, anyone that doesn't manufacture, which is a lot of the economy these days. It's a good read. And and I hope FASB addresses it, although I'm I'm not too confident that they're gonna like do anything super dramatic. But that's what needs to happen is like it's not just the problem with goodwill, it's like the problem with how gap treats intangibles. If if you're not making something that's physical, if you can't see it, then the way we treat it in accounting is often wrong. It violates the fundamental principle of accounting, which is expenses and income should be matched in the same period. Uh, and and Nobody really seems to want to do anything about that because it would be a humongous shift, right? And it would, I mean, it would have to be something that takes place gradually over years and years to, to get this aligned up, right? Yeah. And to say expectations, they said they're unlikely to finalize anything in 2021. <laughs> oh, they're just going to talk about it'll it. Be a, it'll, they might unveil a proposal yeah. uh, by the end of 2021. Um, but that's one of the, crit uh, the critics or is that it just takes them, they're not moving fast enough yeah. to enact these new rules. The good news is that, hey- you know, creative accountants, well, uh, 
it's always kind of a cringy term, but if you are an innovative accountant, you are probably preparing an alternative accounting method financial statement for your client if you know GAAP doesn't work. And so companies use their own metrics that GAAP doesn't recognize and you know they can present those to investors and and I think you know smart companies do that, right? Like all the SaaS metrics that software companies use, you know, they they should be disclosing a lot of that stuff to their investors so that you get a real picture of what's going on because like the actual GAAP financial statements don't help. Um what else? Uh, oh, I, we've been talking, David, for like almost an hour. I think our time is almost up. So I'm going to have to save a lot of this stuff for next time. We didn't get any reviews or any voicemails. Uh, it's very heartbreaking to me. Like <laughs> I really want, I really wanted to hear some voicemails from people that were that. You know, last week we talked about like, the successes of people that got the PPP loans, like something creative one of your clients have done. I'd love to hear, you know, a story. Um, if people want to call and leave a voicemail, Blake, what's the phone number? That number is 202-695-1040. We know you're listening because we can see the download numbers and those are pretty good. So uh, we encourage you to pick up the phone, give us a call. And hey, look, if you prefer to record it yourself without calling the voicemail, I know that can be a little intimidating because you you know you feel like you only get one shot. Go ahead and, and record on your computer, record a, an MP3 file or a WAV file and email that to us or send it to us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, I am at Blake T. Oliver. How about you, David? I'm at David Leary on all the socials. And I know you got opinions because people do message us. They message us our opinions, but those don't necessarily make it on the show. If you if you put it into an audiogram, put it into a, a, a something we can play on the show, we'll, we'd love to share it with our listeners. We can't read uh, a Facebook Messenger conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have a way to put that into my like feed reader very easily, you know? So it's like, I, I lose that stuff. But uh, yeah, that, that's why. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, that's it from me, David. Until next time, have a have a great. Uh, I guess enjoy your uh, extended free trial of 2021. You know, I'm I'm going to give us all another seven days. Hopefully, it gets better. The sales guy's calling you because you still haven't put in your credit card yet. You're like, hey, can you? I didn't have, ch- I didn't have a chance to try out the app yet. I need seven more days. Can you re-enable, extend my trial out here for another 14? All right, we'll see how this goes. Let's give it another another week. All right. Talk to you later, David. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Does your sales team know which invoices are overdue, due, or paid, or which clients have been invoiced, or what the total receivables are? Birdwinner for NetSuite offers a powerful two-way integration solution between NetSuite and Salesforce and can be set up and configured in just under a day. Your team can raise NetSuite sales orders as invoices, track their status, quote complex NetSuite pricing, and much more, all from within Salesforce. Get the integration that works immediately and save staff time, increase data accuracy, and accelerate your business sales cycle. Start your free trial of Breadwinner for NetSuite today at breadwinner.com slash NetSuite dash Salesforce. We have to tell you about a new app on the QuickBooks App Store called Uncat. It has nothing to do with cats. It has everything to do with fixing uncategorized expenses. If you're still exporting spreadsheets of uncategorized expenses from QBO to send to your clients, you need to stop doing that. Uncat notifies your clients about uncategorized expenses and lets them add descriptions and receipts online. You can then assign expenses to the right accounts and everything syncs with QBO so you don't have to copy and paste anything. Uncat is fast and easy for you and your clients so everybody's happier. So ditch the spreadsheets and manual data entry and head over to uncat.com. As a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, your first client is free. That's www.uncat.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.